This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often unappreciated by the masses of working character actors. My name is Stephen Porzio. My name is Andrew Carroll. Today I'm hoping our audience will indulge us a, a bit in that we are taking a break from talking about character actors to spotlight an event that is very close to my heart, the uh, Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. And it's a, a festival I've been going to since I was a teen. I've, I've seen so many great movies there. I think my first year going I saw Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin, Richard Awadi's The Double and Starred Up, great movies. And then in other years I saw Richard Gere talk and it was actually the last big event I went to before COVID-19 hit and uh, seeing Charlie Kaufman talk and and in a discussion with Marco Halloran and seeing films like Broken Law or Sea Fever or St. Maud with all the filmmakers giving Q&As after and man it's a time I treasure <laughs> and uh, uh, what about you Andrew I know you saw a promising young woman there last year I imagine um, it's a similar thing yeah my experience with um, the Dublin International Film Festival is a bit more limited than yours um, because I mean I'd heard of it for years and I remember seeing it in the paper people like um, uh, Michael Manson showing up and stuff like that but the only direct experience I had with it was actually last year when you uh, after we recorded an episode on someone and we went to the launch Yes. Uh, other, they showed the trailer and uh, we all stood there with lots of other kind of social media industry people and uh, drank too much and ate too little. And then I didn't have any other dealings with it until I saw the uh, kind of the last film on this on the program, which was Promising Young Woman. And it ended up being one of my top films of 2020. So I got to say nothing but positive experiences with uh, Vim Diff. <laughs> well, that's great and uh well this year's program uh which runs from march 3rd to the 14th uh, is now taking place online and i know while i miss the cinema setting certainly uh on the positive side you can have the best of current international and irish film beamed into your homes and uh, as with previous years the lineup is diverse and terrific and uh i don't know about you andrew but we, we both pick five films we're excited to check out and uh in the back half of the show, I'll be talking to the people behind one of this year's major titles. But I, I struggle to pick just five. So uh, while these are our recommendations, I, I'd urge people to just take a gander at the program themselves because uh, there's, a, there's a lot to discover. Yeah. So do you want to get the ball rolling first on recommendations? Uh, maybe we can start with world cinema first. Sure, let's get weird. Um, as my first pick is Jumbo, which is a film about a woman, a young woman called uh, Jeanne. Uh, who is in love with an enormous fairground ride she's nicknamed Jumbo. Jeanne is played by Noemi Merlon, who uh, people, a lot of people will know from Portrait of a Lady on Fire, my number one movie from last year. And my favourite part of that movie, my favourite actress in that movie, actually. Uh, I loved Adele now, but Noemi Merlon sold it for me. And she's sold, selling this one for me as well, because if this were an English language movie, like the main character would be like 10 years old and the ride would be like her best friend or something like that. Something like the Iron Giant in live action or some crap like that. But this film is ben- Belgium or possibly a co-production between Belgium and France. And so it comes with all the sexuality of continental cinema and uh, <laughs> about half the whimsy of Western cinema uh, that would bring to this. And like, there's, there's definitely going to be a scene where she like masturbates to a fantasy of the fairground ride. And I'm 90, 99% sure she probably actually somehow has sex with it too. With this giant spaceship looking 25 foot tall... Uh, fairground ride uh, in fairness kudos to them for not making it look like a sex toy um, there's lots of shots of Jeanne uh, uh, like grinding against the machine or like motor oil dripping down onto her face or her like licking motor oil off of a very white floor in a dream sequence it's bizarre but it looks it looks great 
I don't yeah. know how to. I don't know how to sell it well, and I feel like I'm not. But um, it it feels like a more likable version of Bumblebee. Is the Transformers movie? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't I mean, make like, that connection a, myself, but a, wo- sure. a woman makes a woman makes a connection with a giant machine who can only communicate through lights and sounds and not words. So um, yeah, I think I'm really really looking forward to it. And I can't really explain why. Um, I want to talk about apples because uh, um, I think it's a Greek film, and in recent years, a lot of very interesting and distinct cinema has come out of Greece uh, with this movement being dubbed the Greek Weird Wave. And I think it's best known for <laughs> best known in the way would be Yorgos Lanthimos movies like Dogtooth and Alps, which have really crossed over. And I think the best way to describe these movies would be dramas, but with a lot of disarming humor and transgressive behavior and are maybe not meant to be taken too literally but are metaphors for the human condition and how intrinsically strange humans can be and like and obviously there's Lanthimos but there's been a few other filmmakers you hear about like Athena, Rachel Changari or Babos Macridis or Agris uh, Papadimotropoulos I think I pronounced that correctly who made this brilliant <laughs> movie Suntan which came out a few years ago and it's a movie I'm not it's a movement of movies I'm not too familiar with but I want to learn more about and so there's this new movie, Apples, which has been tagged as being part of this weird wave, and it's uh, Greece's entry for Best International Feature Film at the Oscars this year, and its premise reads, When the city of Athens is struck by a mysterious pandemic which causes amnesia, one man who is impacted sets out to create a new identity for himself through a state-sponsored program. And uh, I want to see this because it's always interesting when a movie seems to have anticipated a current crisis, you know, like a pandemic, and also I imagine, given the premise of the movie, that it'll probe interesting questions about not only memory and how memories make us who we are, but also bureaucracy and how much of what we think of our lives as being our own will is actually determined by some sort of higher force, you know, like government. Uh, so I'm interested in that. And uh, I should say the movie is the feature debut of uh, Christos Niku, who worked as assistant director on uh, Lanthimos's movie Dogtooth. So I imagine it will have some of those vibes. So I'm quite curious about it. I think it, yeah. it sounds cool. Uh, yeah, well, uh, let's take it home for a little bit, and uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, brief, just briefly, uh, about a movie called Boys from County Hell, uh, which is basically a film about uh, local idiots who um, awaken a vampire in Six Mile Hill, which is a town in Ireland linked to Bram Stoker. It's a horror comedy by the director of um, Bad Day for the Cut, which is one of the few um, Irish thrillers that exist. You know, I mean, I think you can count the amount of Irish thrillers that are out there on, like, Two Hands, you know, mm. Bad Day for the Cut, Black 47, The Dig, Perrier's Bounty, and then that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, and there's only like a 33 second teaser on YouTube for it, but you can really, um, it's hard to tell much from the trailer, but the potential seems kind of endless for that kind of thing. There's just the, I think the last shot is the guy just kind of crawling away from like a, a burning car wreck as this like claw unfurls against uh, in front of the camera. So great potential. Hopefully they can pull it off, and fingers crossed that they do. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Beast Calling at Straws, because it's not every day a movie feels like it was pulled out of your subconscious and put on screen, uh, but Beasts Calling at Straws feels like uh, that very much for me. Uh, a Louis Vuitton bag full of money caused an outrageous train of events in South Korean filmmaker Kim Jong-hoon's debut and a acerbic crime thriller. The bag's discovery leads to a succession of lowlifes, double crossers, criminals and dealers who come undone through greed as they try to outsmart each other for the money people trying to kill each other for money check south korean crime thriller 
check. So that's check. already great for me. But also the movie <laughs> stars uh, Jeon Do-yun, who played the lead role in one of my favorite films ever, Secret Sunshine, which we talked about in our Sang Kong Ho app. She's incredible. Uh, I just can't wait to see it. I'm, uh, it's uh, great that we have a festival that allows us to see South Korean <laughs> thrillers. All right, well, let's, um, let's bring the token American one in. I picked, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to Dinner in America, which looks like 10% Little Miss Sunshine, 20% The Edge of 17, 50% Fast Times at Ridgemont High, 5% Almost Famous, 50% On the Road, and 100%, 100% Reason to Remember the Name. I don't know why I thought that rhyme would work. Uh, anyway. I don't think that Matt's ads up either. <laughs> no, no, I don't think it does actually. So it's a bit of punk rock singer who meets a young super, fa- super fan on the road, and the two embark on a, on a road trip through suburban America. And it just from... The little, the few, the twenty-second teaser that's on YouTube and the uh, still image that's the the Dublin International Film Festival are using to uh, promote it. Uh, it looks kind of like if Velma from Scooby Doo was really into the Ramo- the Ramones or Black Flag, and just judging from those two things, it seems pretty cute and romantic. Um, but you know, I, as long as it kind of has that kind of teen adolescence into adulthood energy of um, the films I mentioned earlier specifically The Edge of Seventeen then I think uh, I think that it's, it can do no wrong you know you can't go wrong with a teen coming of age comedy drama set in the American heartland with a punk singer and his super fan yeah it's sounds, be great. sounds great uh, I'm interested in uh, this is a bit of a mouthful the title preparations to be together for an unknown period of time um, I should say there's a lot of great uh, world cinema in this program too, from and I know that uh, Limbo and New Order, which are in the program, are going to be distributed by Movie in Ireland, which is a big sign of their quality. But I'm going to go with this. Uh, it's Hungary's entry for Best International Feature Film at this year's Oscars, and uh, it's described as a noirish melodrama. So premise reads, a doctor leaves her life in the United States to return home to Budapest after falling in love with another doctor, but he claims never to have met her before. Oh. Uh that's just such a great enigmatic premise for a movie. It's like Vertigo or something. Um, reading it, I'm like, why is that? I have to know. So um, hopefully it sticks to landing. And uh, I know the reviews are very good. Uh, but also lead actress uh, Natasha Stork has been named as one of 10 European shooting stars of 2021. Alongside her own Fiona Shea, who played Jamie, who's Jamie in Normal People, which is great. So it's oh, kind of a prick. top European actors to watch type list. Uh, so yeah, that's another reason to check it out. So yeah, preparations to be together for an unknown period of time should yeah. be good. Sounds like sounds like lockdown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm looking forward to the film I requested to review for uh, the fest- festival. So I'm look- quite looking forward to Wild Swords, which is a gritty, action-heavy Wuxia film. It'll be fun to see if they can pull off the weightlessness of a Wuxia film mixed with kind of kind of heavy violence you'd see in a Johnny Toe movie. Yeah, I love Johnny Toe. And, uh, yeah, like every year I watched like at least three Chinese movies where the plot was written on a napkin at 5am in a Hong Kong dive bar, and at least one of them ends up in my top ten every year, so this could be one of them, we never know. And it's just, you know, listen, when it comes to Chinese cinema, it's style over substance every time, uh, unless you're watching like some kind of mainland melodrama, but with Hong Kong, it's style over substance every time. And I do prefer my martial arts films like The Raid or something like that, or The Night Comes for Us with a bit of weight to them, but this looks kind of like... Just judging from the trailer, which has no subtitles, so forewarned is forearmed. You won't know what this movie is about. I don't either. And I even read the synopsis on the film festival site. But it looks like a perfect blend of like the weightlessness of Wuxia and the weight of like something like The Raid or um, Fist of Legend or one of those kind of movies. 
Yeah, it sounds sadly. I'm really into it. When you, once you see a, a title in a festival program called Wild Swords, and like, exactly. you're just like, yeah, ah, I'm definitely going to see that on like, any chance <laughs> I get. Yeah, I want to talk about Sun, uh, which is from Irish filmmaker Ivan Kavanagh, so an Irish film. Um, he directed The Horror of the Canal, which I liked, and The Western Never Grow Old, which I thought was great, um, with John Cusack and Emile Hirsch recently. He's back in horror this time around. A mother who escaped a cult as a child must face her past when cult members return and attempt to kidnap her son, David. Uh, on the run from this uh, sinister sect, they're helped by a detective. But since the ab- attempted abduction, something has changed in David. And Emil Hirsch, who was in Never Grow Old, is in this playing one of the leads. And uh, there's a trailer out for this, which is really exciting and has all this striking imagery in it. And I, I just think cults are just always so weird and cool in movies. I mean, Rosemary's Baby, Wicker Man, Martha, Martha, yeah. Marcy, May Marlene, Midnight Special, The Third Day recently. Like, it's just always fertile territory, a cult. So uh, I'm very excited for this. And as you say, yeah, Irish thrillers, uh, they're not too common. So when we get them, uh, we should uh, definitely promote them. Yeah, treasure them. Yes. Speaking of Irishness, uh, let's. I'm going to talk about Deadly Cuts, which is a Dublin set comedy centering on four hairdressers seeking to save their salon and community from the criminal gang that's moved in. Whenever my granny, who's a 94 year old woman from Cabra, but you know she has notions, so she doesn't sound like she's from Cabra, uh, hears a story about women from like that kind of central Dublin area, she'll say, "Oh, I love the Dublin women and their wit." And this seems like that kind of film, you know, just uh, the director said, Rachel Carey said it perfectly when she says, I made this film because I'd felt for a long time that a Dublin comedy was well overdue, especially one that featured the style, wit and occasional murderous urges of the Dublin young one. And I can't wait for audiences to watch it fly. And I agree with her Uh, because Sing Street was probably the last fun feel good Dublin movie we had. And uh, it's pretty rare you get an Irish comedy without a shite Emmett Kerwin monologue to be produced in Ireland. And it's even rare. For, it's even rarer for one centering on women to be made and you know Orson Welles I love the guy uh, he wants to, but he once described the Irish as a people full of malice and <laughs> you know it's, it's nice it's, it's nice to prove him wrong every now and again yeah I'm going to talk about Be Good or Be Gone this is the only film that we've discussed that uh, I've seen I was on a screener and it's this uh, Irish dramedy that mutates into quite a full on thriller as it goes and uh, two petty criminal cousins receive a temporary release from Mountjoy Prison in Dublin I think it's they get a four day release and the more mature Steve wants to make things right with his ex and the mother of his kid. Uh, meanwhile, Weed, who is this lovable rogue addicted to drugs, he wants to enter the fashion industry. Uh, but the tooth past and Weed's addiction issues make it difficult for them to get a fresh start. And eventually they are strong-armed into a series of criminal schemes. I thought this was great. I spoke to star and co-writer Les Martin and director Cahill Nally. Uh, it's his first feature, so you'll hear that interview in a bit. But they, they told me that this was in some form of de- development for a long time and it shows in the end product because it juggles multiple plot threads and characters and tones and at times it's very, very funny. At other times it's like a social realist movie. It has thriller moments that are disturbing too. But it all coalesces because the script is sharp and concise. Nothing feels out of place or drags. The movie just rattles along as it puts its protagonist uh, more and more through the ringer over the four days. And it ju- it feels like maybe that its long development stage um, enabled it to just strip away anything that was unnecessary. But yeah. that said, it was made completely independently too, and it, it doesn't feel noted to death. Like the suburban North Dublin locations feel gritty and alive, like they were shot on the fly. Like the performances throughout the whole ensemble feel natural and lived in. Everyone in the cast has a unique face and vibe too. It's almost like a Safety Bros movie in that respect. 
And as Colin Les say in the interview, like while the movie does evoke comparisons to other Irish work like Adam and Paul or Broken Law recently, or, and director Colin Nally said he was drawn to the script because it reminded him of Roddy Doyle, he it has some tricks up its sleeve too, and it, it never quite goes exactly as you'd expect. So uh, I totally recommend it. And yeah, so just before the interview, I'll just say like we didn't talk about Ammonite, you know, the Sir Sharon and Kate Windsor drama or Supernova with Colin Firth and the Tooch or uh, Minari, the A24 drama with Stephen Yeun, which I'm sure is amazing. But it's just I think those movies will be covered elsewhere. And I just wanted to, yeah, we just want to raise the profile of these movies, which could be yeah. lost in the big program. And we should say that in the, in the program, Colin Farrell and Steve McQueen are taking part in conversations. There's a retrospective on movies made by black female directors. There's a short, the short film programs a lot and uh, we've only kind of scratched the iceberg so you know check mm-hmm. out diff.ie and without further ado uh, here's my interview with uh, Be Good or Be Gone star and co-writer Les Martin and director Colin Nally You raise over right with that lad I want to know where he is and what he's doing Stay on me way I don't No we make those decisions not you Find someone that's sham to do your dirt. Well, if you want to see that daughter of yours grow up, he'll be there. I'll make things right. For the three of us, I will. I swear, I promise I'll make things right. Yeah, well, I'm Les Martin. I'm one of the actors, co-writers, co-producers on Be Gotta Be Gone. Yeah, I'm Cahal Nally. I'm the director and one of the producers as well on Be Gotta Be Gone. Uh, I got roped into this, basically. So. <laughs> Um, congratulations on uh, Be Good or Be Gone being selected for the Dublin International Film Festival and uh, I know the movie has been on the festival circuit both in Ireland and abroad for the last year or so and but it must be great to get for it to be screened at such a big important event for Irish cinema how, how are you both feeling about that? Yeah I think it's it's fantastic to be accepted into DIFF um, I suppose you could call it a very specific Dublin film so to find a time and Dublin International is uh, that's brilliant you know it's it's kind of like the icing on the cake this stage after spending what is it 18 months now on the, the festival circuit so it feels like it's coming home in some ways <laughs> yeah so yeah, I'm just delighted especially for an independent film we didn't have the backing of any big production studio behind us so it's kind of rare to, for a film of our size to get accepted into the likes of Diff so it's a big thank you also to Grania Humphreys for, you know, really championing Irish independent cinema. And uh, as well as starring, you co-wrote the screenplay, so I imagine the film's genesis is with you, Les. Um, what made you want to tell the story of these two lovable rogues, and was it always your intention to play the lead role? Well, yeah, I'd say it was my intention to, to re- create a bit of work for myself as an actor, because I'd been mostly doing stage work going back to the 90s when I started out and to get for a film role to land on your lap it was just, it was kind of unheard of you know there wasn't much movies being made back then and to get in the door of a of, to get seen for a substantial role it was near to impossible going back to about 1993 I hadn't even turned professional and I decided to write a short film I hadn't got a clue about how to write scripts or anything like that but I just said I would give it a go it was yeah it was basically two guys and I didn't know whether they were friends or they were cousins or what the relationship was, but they knew each other pretty well. 
who get themselves into a bit of trouble. And I think, if I, I think correctly, I, I'm not sure if it was a robbery or something, but they end up anyway, one of them is sick, and both of them end up at a ferry terminal at the end, and they're, they're going to escape or scarper to London. So nothing really happened with that short, so I just started doing theatre, and I parked it, put it on the shelf. It was only when I met Paul Murphy, which would have been around 2009, we met on a, a, a FOSS course, would you believe? Um, what was that for? It was a, a basic computers. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I hadn't got a clue how to work a laptop. So I was afraid if I touched the key, it Yeah. Now, so, look, uh, now look at you on Zoom. That's great. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so yeah, it was, we learned about computers. There was about 18 people in the class. It was down Jerba Street. And I heard one of the people that were on the course kind of saying, uh, oh, that's a fantastic... Uh, novel I, I never laughed so much in my life and i looked across and there was this guy and he says oh thanks very much and it was paul morphy and um i said to him i said do, do, you, do you mind if i take a look at your novel you know and i take her home and have a read and uh, he says yeah yeah go ahead so i read this book this novel that paul had written it was basically all he because he was a former chef it's all kind of chef and stories but it was told in a very dublin vernacular real funny and comedic and you know he had a great turn of phrase very quirky and I was intrigued enough to say to him you know I have this idea for a film script and he says I said are you any good with dialogue and he said yeah he said dialogue that's my strength that's my thing so I gave him a brief first draft very loose and then I let him put his own personal spin in it you know then over the the, the coming months we'd meet up you know, give each other notes on the characters, other you know, new characters and the dialogue, what worked, what didn't work. And we conducted it that way for, I'd say, the first year. And we started giving it out to, uh, a bit too early, you know, looking back, giving it to some production companies that were quite big. And it was only about 60 pages typed up. We shouldn't have given the script out that early because, you know, you can make your mind up on something when you read something that's underdeveloped. Mm. And I think it made it harder for us in the long run. So over the years, we just kept going. We kept on honing the script. Getting f- Then we gave it into a few really good, um, well-respected industry professionals that I kind of knew. And we got some feedback on the script from them. And they said, look, you have a good script, just certain elements here need to be worked on. We'll keep going. And it wasn't really until 2015 and uh, my next, Declan Mills. Um, I didn't really know Declan that much. Um, just knew him as an actor on the scene. And Dec, I said to him, I said, look, have you worked for any directors or do you know any producers that might be interested in this script? And he said, leave it with me. So, lo and behold, he put me in touch with Cahill and met up with Cahill and that's really how the whole process started from the script, you know? Mm. I was going to ask Cahill, like, um, this is your debut film as well, so you must have really taken to the screenplay, right? I just thought the, the dialogue was great. It was a really authentic kind of Dublin kind of dialogue. Characters kind of jumped off the page, really. You know what I mean? They seemed like they were really well fleshed out. They, they were like real people, and I thought, this is brilliant. And I suppose it was like the closest thing to a kind of a Roddy Doyle script that I've ever actually read, you know, other than Roddy Doyle material. And I thought, geez, this is, this is very interesting. I just needed to figure out how we were going to go about doing it because I knew we had limited resources 
it was like I hadn't seen anything like this. If you know what I mean, I've been sent different scripts here and there from people over the years, and nothing really interested me, you know. Um, and I was looking for a first kind of feature, and I, and I wanted the material to be strong. When you're in that kind of situation, you know you're going to be working on the project for a long time. You just know you will be like, you know, you know that it's going to take time. Like initially, I thought maybe three years or something. I didn't think it would take this long. Based on what you're saying, you really had to fight to get this film made. And as you said, like it's totally independent, no film board. I saw read online that you shot a couple of weeks at a time over three years, and you, you at some point crowdfunded the money to get it made. And because I only learned those things after I'd watched the movie, because it doesn't feel like that. Like it, it's handsome, like it has atmosphere, and maybe that arduous process has led to it being like this very tight script in the at the end product. So yeah. I was just wondering, was there ever a point in the arduous process where you both? felt like walking away and um, how did you go about maintaining such a high quality under those uh, circumstances? Well for myself anyway I wanted to see it all the way through to the end it had to be done like it had to be done it just needed to take time and all of us kind of supported one another it wasn't it was a real group effort when we went to do the first year of production we were shooting like three weeks in, in January 2016 we had a small budget and I kind of figured that early on we probably weren't going to get all of it shot, uh, and I and I didn't want to scare Les at the time, so I kind of just said to the uh, assistant director and to the production manager, I, I pulled them aside and I said, "Look, I don't think we we're going to make it all the way through to the end of this." Uh, so I said, um, "We had like 25 casts. Let's try and get all the bit players done." as much as we can so that when we do come back to reshoot again which i thought was going to be maybe three four months away i didn't think it would be a whole year again but it was we don't have as many con we won't have as much kind of continuity issues if you know what i mean like their performances will be will be done you know kind of way hmm. uh, and we'd probably just be left with the, the the two lads mostly just probably their scenes will need to be shot maybe a couple other cast members so we did that and we shot nearly everybody's scenes it was really just, you know, Les and Declan making sure their the costumes were fine, the hair was fine. Some of the locations we were shooting in, we just had to re, re, readjust them. It doesn't look like it was shot over two and a half years or two and a quarter years, but it was. And we did, the bulk of it was 2016. We came back in 2017 to the week, and then we did two days of work in March 2018. It's incredible that you, this movie, like you went out yourselves with a small crew and uh, shot it and it's finally going to be seen by audiences. But I was wondering, do you think that COVID-19 could affect Irish filmmakers following in your footsteps and making movies by themselves independently for the next few years? Because uh, it would be a shame if so. Well, I think that independent film is always going to be there, COVID or no COVID. And it was strange because I actually was talking to a few filmmakers just in the last few weeks. I mean, people were just sending me messages on Facebook and wanting to do Zooms and things like that for advice and what to do. And I should have been charging these people. <laughs> <laughs> I was like practically doing, I was doing like practically like one hour, one and a half hour in some cases, kind of schooling sessions with filmmakers. So I think you're always going to have independent filmmakers out there. And I think the COVID thing, I think, has... Um, I think it's good for people for, for developing material, for writing. If people don't have, like, say they're, they're, they're working, like, you know, uh, part-time jobs or full-time jobs, and they don't have the time to sit down and write scripts and stuff or develop things, I think it's allowed a lot of those type of people to get back into the industry as well. I think our film, Getting Into the Virgin, 
festival. I think that's been great because it proves it can be done. If you know what I mean, to independence, it can be done. Like it's possible if your material is strong enough, and if you if you get your movie right enough, it it can happen. You know. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Spice Bags is a podcast about food in Ireland from an international perspective. Hi, I'm May. I'm an American food writer, and I'm with my friends Blanca, a chef from Spain, and Dee, an Irish food editrix. And we are the Spice Bags, three sassy ladies with a lot to dish up. Join us for the chats. I Know That Face are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events and lots more. We here at I Know The Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. So you talked about this movie as being a real Dublin movie, and um, I'm really starting to appreciate how dynamic Dublin is in terms of places to shoot, because, you know, obviously you have um, the bustling city centre that you see in something like Dublin Old School, and then in Rialto there's those beautiful scenic coastal areas, and but in Be Good or Be Gone... You have the grimier areas of suburban Dublin, like the North Strand, that are showcased. And I think, while they may not be conventionally beautiful, I think those settings have a lot of grit and texture on screen and make a great backdrop for these like atmospheric dramas or thrillers. And just wondering, Cahill, uh, how much time went into scanning those locations and what were you looking for exactly? We kind of knew, just for looking at the script, when you were reading it, that it had to be set in real kind of gritty areas. And uh, Les had done some... Uh, location scouting with um, with our production designer that we brought in, uh, Martin. They're asking me where do you think we should shoot. I said, just said just the filthiest place you can find that <laughs> would work. <laughs> now a lot of those places are knocked down now; they don't exist. And the Devonies is gone. That was completely leveled a few years ago. So I think the film is practically a historical document at this point. <laughs> a lot of the film is set outside. It's it's exterior location stuff. They're on, they're on the streets. They're in the flats. That kind of thing, you know. So you just had to look real, raw and real is all I was looking for. Dublin has that. I mean, it, look, it is a gritty kind of a script and it is an urban script, so it had to look that way. I think it does look gritty and great, and uh, but I imagine finding great locations helps a movie look more expensive than it is, but I also think casting actors with great presence really helps too, and Les, I think you and uh, Declan Mills, who plays Weed, are incredible together, and um, it's, it's really believable you two are lifelong friends in the movie, and was there any added work done or rehearsals by you two together to help strengthen that chemistry, or is it all in the script? It was on the page, obviously, but I, I didn't know Declan. I, I only knew him as an actor, but I, I'd never worked with him. But I'd heard of him, and 
for the two characters to work, I wanted both characters to be physically different. I think I thought he'd be good for the role. So I'd met up with him well before I met Cattle. And we decided, myself and Declan decided to just dress up as the characters and go around uh, Mountjoy Square, trying to be a flat complex up around Mountjoy. And I think we were trying to bring money on board at the time. We were trying to get this brochure together to give to investors. So <laughs> we wanted the film have some photographs to put in the brochure. Mm. So we, we had a photographer, me and Deck, we went around and he dressed up as, as weed and he had a little uh, bag and he had a fashion magazine. <laughs> What's funny, when you work with somebody that you don't really know and you have chemistry that's just organic, you can't explain it really. You know, you have a supporting cast filled with all these great faces and people with distinct looks. And uh, I really enjoyed seeing uh, Graham Early from Broken Law showing yeah, up for yeah. 10 minutes and raising all sorts of hell. In general, what was the casting process like, Carl? Well, Les had, a, had some people that he wanted to work with, and I had a few people I wanted to work with. So we basically just contacted them and said, look, here's a script, take a look. And uh, we had some of them read for a few parts, if you know what I mean. So we, we had an idea who we wanted to play for certain roles, but we'd actually given a few options to people. Because some people would get back to us and say, look, I'd rather read for this guy instead of this guy. And we'd go, yeah, yeah, fine, read for both. You know what I mean? Just on the screenplay, Les, like, Be Good or Be Gone like, starts off as a slice-of-life comedy drama in which you're, not, you're following these people and there's sort of an odd couple who want to make a better life for themselves but can't whether it be because of an addiction or past events or money woes, but at about a halfway point, uh, suddenly things become a lot darker and more full-on and the movie becomes more of a thriller. And I was just wondering, were you or your co-writer ever worried about that tonal shift that maybe it was too disturbing? I think the film pulls it off, I should say, because it adds urgency and the cast, story, and milieu are so convincing that it unifies things. But uh, yeah, just what are your thoughts on that? No, we weren't afraid. I think the intentions all along was we wanted to mix it up tonally. Um, we didn't want to kind of have it all the way heavy and dark and he- heavy dramatic stuff all the way through from, from the start to, be, to the end. So I think we, the script was always written in that type of a structure that way. You know, it does get very dark in certain places, but we wanted to kind of have a lot of light and shade throughout the script. Some of my best movies that I've watched over the years would, would always have a a downbeat, tragic ending. You know, somebody dies at the end, and, and that's where I'm at when it comes to writing. Remember Paul saying, he says, no, 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 why, why should they? And we, we had a few table readings, and some of the feedback that we received was, why do we always have to get down the route of having somebody die at the end? Have it, why not have it upbeat? So that's when we decided to change and have a kind of a more redemptive, um, optimistic ending. But in terms of uh, the tone we wanted to mix it up and not kind of just have it a straight through heavy dramatic Irish film it's a good mixture of comedy and darkness because sometimes the, the, the darkness will stop the comedy so yeah that was that was something that we purposely and consciously decided to do with the script just mix it up tonally and that's what I liked about it as well was that it wasn't straightforward drama it was also there, was, there were comedy elements there as well but there was also thriller aspects as well and trying to get it all to sort of work and gel together was a bit of a challenge. That was another thing that, it, that drew me to the script as well when I read it. It wasn't just that the authentic dialogue and everything, which was great. I thought when I was reading it, I thought this was great. But when I got to the ending, without giving the ending away, and when I got to the ending, I thought, yay, thank God. You know, there isn't somebody going, coming into a room and finding someone hanging from a rafter. You know what I mean? It was <laughs> yeah. like, thank God we have a good ending here. You know, it wasn't one of those typical Irish stories where 
like like less said this where somebody dies or they all die or you know misery or something like that it's an upbeat ending and i thought this is great it was it was really refreshing to me i thought thank god yeah and the movie is very funny and you know the running plot thread about we only to be a designer despite you know not knowing how to sew like is hilarious and uh, now that the film is screening at Diff, what's next for Be Good or Be Gone? Um, is it going to get a release online? Like, I, I know things are a bit up in the air at the moment with the pandemic, but do you have any news on that front? Well, we're doing the festival first anyway. And then after that, then we're, we're releasing the film on digital platforms in mid-April. Because we've done like a full year of festivals, really, we, we opened up last March in um, Garden State in the States. And then we did a couple more festivals in the States and Canada. And now we're kind of back in Ireland. And the pandemic, of course, kind of screwed up everything, you know, for live events and everything. So all the festivals we've done have all been online, like a whole year of online virtual festivals now. And um, while that process was going on, we were looking at trying to get a distributor on board to take the film. And um, it just didn't look good for us in terms of getting cinema releases. We were like, this is just not going to happen, really, is it? Like, like everywhere is shutting down and everything's going online. Even the major studios in the states can't can't get their stuff out. Like, uh, so we found a distributor for 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 online platforms and stuff, and we went with that. Then we got into then we got into Diff, so we kind of timed it right in a way because our, our that's we we were well the film's available I think on Amazon, iTunes, and a few other platforms from mid April. So through our distributor, so it's kind of good timing really. You know? Yeah, it's brilliant. Well, uh, thanks for speaking to me, and uh, I really enjoyed the movie. Thanks a million, Stephen, and no thanks problem. for taking time out to have a chat. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed that chat. Uh, check out Be Good or Be Gone as part of the Virgin Media Dublin International Film Festival. It's available March 4th to stream, with the festival taking place from March 3rd to the 14th. Rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Email I know that facepod at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to us. Follow us on Twitter at I know that face P1. Follow us on Instagram at I know that face. Follow us on Facebook at I, at I know that face pod. Thanks to Shani Fernandez for editing and for running our socials. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. And you can find me at the Headstuff Film section. Um, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we'll have uh, put up something uh, about the Diff program where you could basically read me and Andrew's selections. Please, uh, if you listen to our show and you like it, consider signing up to Headstuff Plus and donating five euro a month. You know, like special bonus episodes of the show, three of which are available now. They're in 20 minutes each. It's just a bit looser, just talking about stuff we like, new movies, older classics, TV. See you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.